Welcome to CTO Think, a podcast about leadership, product development, and tech decisions between two recovering chief technology officers. Here are your hosts, Don Vandemark and Randy Burgess. Hey, Don. How's it going? Going well. Just uh, got back from New York. We went uh, on a high school band trip to New York to participate in the St. Patrick's Day Parade. Um, it was good. It was a bit chilly. Um, <laughs> usually got up to the 40s during the day and the 20s at night. So the, uh, the river cruise on Saturday night was pretty much stay inside the boat. Um, but it was nice views of the, uh, New York skyline with, uh, all the buildings lit up. So that was nice. Um, I, I will say one takeaway from the whole thing is that the radio city music hall tour is well worth it. Oh yeah. Um, it's, uh, it's really nice. Um, it, the, the best part about it is they actually take you on stage and have you look back towards the, the theater. Um, and you you never get that sense of scale mm-hmm. um, until you do that. And once you do that, you're like, wow, this is this is pretty cool. So um, had a good time. So what about you? Um, I guess this week's kind of flown. I over the weekend while you were in New York, um, I kind of alluded to this in the last podcast. I was working with you on a small project. And the project, I well, I won't even go into what the project's trying to do. More of it pushed me to learn a couple new APIs and learn Node at the level of Rails. And right. I didn't realize how, I guess, having, it, it kind of goes into something that I've said to my students many times. If you want to learn something, have a project to work on and it will force you to truly hit tons of education cases and learn a lot. Sure. And, and it, it means more now that I have more experience in development, but man, I learned so much in just two days of just sitting down, hammering out this prototype, reading documentation running into problems. And I even told Megan one night, I'm like, wow, I just wasted three hours trying to get an email or a text message to work. But now <laughs> I understand everything about this. And so I guess that's that was way more worth it than the time it felt like I was wasting. So right. that, that was just really interesting um, from that standpoint. All the rest is client work and important things that I don't need to talk about really, but that's been my week so far. Um, But something I noticed, there's a a message board um, community, kind of like Hacker News, but called Lobsters. And that that message board group talks, is kind of like Hacker News, but specifically about programming um, only not startups and not business general business stuff, but much more on the programmer level. They go have a lot more articles that are in depth on some of the computer science things. But what caught my eye was someone mentioned um, or asked the question: Do you sign non compete agreements? Do you sign NDAs? And I thought I've, I've kind of have a philosophy on this that changed over the years because I have been asked many times 
to sign a document about like non-disclosure um, before I even talk to someone about their idea. Sure. And so I wanted to kind of get your experience with this. Um, have you signed one? Have you forced anyone else to sign one or forced? Have you asked someone else to sign one? And what your f- kind of feelings are about them. And I have my experience and kind of the new philosophy I have that I'll share too. But I'll let you sure. start. What is your experience with signing or refusing to sign um, NDAs? Uh, first uh, I'll talk briefly a little bit about the philosophy and and I the philosophy I really want to address is what you just said a minute ago about signing an NDA even before you talk about the idea Mm -hmm. Um, in my mind ideas are free Um, Mm -hmm. everybody has ideas I can have the greatest idea in the world um and if I'm trying to, it, it's going to come down to execution in the end. So somebody else can hear my idea, but they weren't the ones who thought of the idea. So I'm going to, I'm going to have a, a, a different thought process and a different direction. I want to go with that idea than they will. Yeah. Um, so as far as discussion of ideas, I'm not, a, a, I don't, maybe there are cases um, but I, it's hard for me to think of a case where an NDA makes sense. Now, all yep. that said, um, for Aspire EDU, we do have our programmers um, sign non-competes, non-disclosures, hmm. um, non-competes for a certain period of time within a within the education analytics space, um, and the reason behind that is the algorithm we use within our system to drive the risk scores is our algorithm. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and that is, that's protected property. Having the idea of having an algorithm that there are other people who have that, that's not unique. Um, the uniqueness is in the algorithm and what what components make up that score. So let so me, we, let me, can I interject real quick on that? Yeah. You, so you're talking about a non-compete, but you're also talking about proprietary knowledge. Where does the not, like you can't go work for another education company. How does that protect the idea of sharing the proprietary knowledge? Is there a difference between the NCA non-compete and the NDA in that? There, in there's that? a difference between the two and I'm pretty sure we have both. Um, in fact, I'm sure we do. Um, the, the NDA protects the knowledge, the NCA protects the learnings, um, from, uh, using the, using our algorithm. It, it, it's hard to enforce. I would bet it's hard to enforce an NDA, um, without an NCA, um, just because if if somebody goes and works for some other company, there's no way we know if they divulged information or not. Um, that, yeah. That's true regardless. Um, but if there's an NCA in place, at least the 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 the, the 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 opportunity is less. We're not trying to keep people from working. Um, we've mm-hmm. reworked that non compete numerous times. 
made it less restrictive over time as far as in terms of scope and in terms of time um, based on conversations we had with people we were bringing on board. Um, but we do feel that the education analytics space is a small enough space that we can feel comfortable saying, yeah, we're, we're going to, we're going to hold you to that, um, for, for a period of time. Yeah. So have you ever been forced to sign them for someone you worked for or trying to work for or talking to? I'm thinking, so let's, let's back, let's go backwards through history. Um, no, I cannot think of anyone that I've worked with. There have been, so when I was at IBM, IBM would sign contracts uh, that I was beholden to, but I mm-hmm. did not necessarily sign them myself. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. Um, they would sign contracts with a large entertainment company down in the south of Orlando, whose name I can't repeat because of that contract. <laughs> um, okay. So, so that's the kind of things I've been held to, but I haven't, can't think of an instance where I've signed one myself outside of Aspire EDU. So now going into your background, you worked in the state of California for Blue Cross Blue Shield. You can say that, right? I can say that, but you it, it's not Blue Cross Blue Shield. It's Blue Shield uh, of California. Blue uh, okay. Cross of California is Anthem. They're two different companies. Uh, okay. There are 20-some-odd Blue Cross Blue Shield associations throughout the, the United States. Well, without getting into the maze of healthcare companies all named Blue Please, something. let's not. Um, the state of California has a much different opinion than Agreed. some of the other states on non-competes. So like the inevitably this was in the conversation on lobsters and it always comes up um, when I've read people debating um, this, especially because of the Silicon Valley um, history with non-competes um, and NDAs. The, you know, California doesn't recognize non-competes. It's very hard to enforce them. We saw the Uber Waymo um, fracas that recently came to a settlement. Um, we saw the non-compete, um, essentially a lawsuit between the big um, Silicon Graphics, Apple, Microsoft. All of them were basically accused of, um, you know, monopoly type abuse in the workplace of um, competition, anti-competitive, I think. Um, and that, I, I believe a settlement came down or a judgment came down, but then I think it's still wrapped up in the courts. But you had, there was proof to some extent that there was collusion between companies to kind of suppress the um, wage wages of tech workers. And so California has much tighter r- rules. And I don't know how those things cross state boundaries, you know. None, and I, honestly, we should also say that we aren't attorneys and we don't know <laughs> if any of these things we're saying on a legal standpoint has weight on a federal or state level. Right. But I guess my biggest question is, did you deal with any of that stuff in California working for an employer there? 
um, that may be different than what you've seen elsewhere? No. And based on what I've heard and read, these things are all difficult to enforce. Um, but in the end, laws exist, contracts exist in order to help well-behaved people stay well-behaved. Yeah. They're not going to stop the bad behavior people, period. Yeah. Um, so it's more of a, an expression of intent. Um, that, that at least is part of the reason you do it. You say, Hey, these are important things to us that we'd like you to keep to yourself. Yes. There's some legal language behind it. And if we have to, we'll go fight in a court of law over that legal language. But really we're just expressing to you that these things are important to us and you're joining us. We want you to think they're important to you too. And we want you to keep them important. So when yeah. all, when all said and done and, and we've parted ways, we want you to think, yeah, that was important to me. Then that's important to them. Then let me keep that agreement out of good faith. Um, your, your bad actors are going to be your bad actors, regardless of contracts, laws, whatever they're, they're going to break it one way or the other. Um, it's, it's an expression of intent as much as it is an enforceable agreement. Yeah. So that leads to kind of another, uh, somewhat of a point that I was going to make. Um, my experience with these things is almost every time I talk to a startup, they, they want, they, they first say, let's set up a meeting. by the way, I'm going to send over an NDA for you to sign. And I have never signed the first draft of an NDA I've been provided. And as I got more and more experience and kind of more leverage myself, I was kind of in the, started getting the attitude of, I'm not signing these things. I'm just going to tell the person I don't sign them. But I've changed that approach because I decided to use some empathy and understand where the pre- the people sending me these NDAs were coming from and decided to make it work to maybe more of an advantage. And so here's my little riff on this. A Usually a startup founder or someone that sends you an NDA is typically at that level, they're learning about how to run a business, how to take an idea and start to make it reality. They're in the startup game. There's a lot of different people telling them what to do. Those people are telling them, use, get an NDA, what have you. They haven't matured to the point of your original statement um, of the an idea or a dime a dozen. An idea doesn't mean much. It's, it's really lots of people have the same ideas. The execution is where there's difference. And... So someone that hasn't explored much on their idea or the execution thinks that maybe what they came up with is very original. And so there's a fear that if they talk to me, someone that can execute, that I can turn around and take that idea and execute it without them. And that very well may be true, but that's what they're trying to protect. And it's a fear. There's a lack of trust there between you because they don't know you. 
And so that's where, when it comes to the empathy, is understand that this person isn't necessarily, they're distrusting you because they have no reason to trust you at this point. So that's one, that's the motive for receiving the document. Sure. The, the next part of it is that this person, before you've been hired, is trying to engage you in a business contract of some kind, an agreement, which in some ways, going to your other point, is about, hey, are you a good actor? Are you a good person that follows agreements? Which is really good for both parties to kind of understand. So what I've started to do differently is instead of saying boldly to someone, I don't sign NDAs, sorry, I take that as an opportunity to see what they're made of on the business discussion level. And I will usually take, if the, if the document is really, really long and convoluted, I don't take much time to read it. I go back to them and say, in order for me to sign something this lengthy and involved, you need to hire an attorney for me. Like you need to pay, I need to choose an attorney and you pay for them to review this in order for us to talk. Because now you're asking me to, to review this really long document that will take my own business time before I even talk to you. And I don't, I don't trust that you're worth the time to talk to. So if you want me to do all this, understand this is a business contract. And someone needs to pay for the legal people to review it. No one has ever taken me up on that. Right. Usually they're like, oh, we don't even need to do it then. It's not that big a deal. And that was, that's kind of like, okay, you presented me with a contract, but it doesn't matter that much to you. That tells me a little bit about how you handle business sometimes. Right. That's revealing. That's actually good information for me to get about that person. Um, not completely negative. It just means like, oh, is this something you really depend on? Have you taken a lot of time to get it worked together? Or did you just copy it from somebody else and it just happens to be really convoluted and long? The next spot is to, if it's a short document, to give it back to them and redline it. Redlining is, for people that don't know legal terms, it's just the idea that a lawyer marks up a document with red pen about changes and questions and stuff. And... I will kind of quasi redline a document and say and and teach them, hey, the problem I have with this document and the fact that I do consulting a lot is this, like A, B, and C, these are not unique ideas and you're kind of claiming them as unique, but I either have heard of them before, they're already out there, or I've worked with people or talked to people that have already discussed those things. And that's one thing I bring up. The next item is, by me talking to you and agreeing to this, I'm blocked from this entire marketplace that you've identified as unique to yourself. Right. And that doesn't work for me. I can't I can't not talk to other people if I, I never work with you. Like I won't sign a document that prevents me from talking to a marketplace. Um, the other one is, by the way, your document doesn't actually protect what you think it protects. And you may want language for future people that would sign this that actually covers something. Um, and what actually ends up happening more often than not is that a discussion ensues about the person, about who I am. And I am able to tell them like, look, I don't go and talk to other clients about each other, even when I'm working with them. And even when they're in different parts of business and 
I the way like I am able to start a conversation with them about business level items, a business contract that I respect them and that I don't sign them if I can't respect them. But also constructive criticism about it. Um also how they react to my pushback. I had I definitely have had a couple of people that got flustered because I wasn't playing the game the way they wanted right. to. And I was like, yeah, that's, you know, I, I don't think we're going to mesh because I'm not that type of person. <laughs> I definitely, rev- I read everything that someone wants me to sign, whether or not I'm an attorney. And I'm going to take, I, if I sign my name to it, it's serious. If you sign, if you give it to me, I expect you to take it seriously. And then I expect you to also agree to whatever may be in that that holds you to it. Um, but I also find that people oftentimes the develop the the startup person doesn't truly understand the document they asked me to sign, and then we have a conversation where I educate them on what they're asking for and how it relates to developers. And I have gotten business that started from that conversation. I didn't sign the NDA, and I ended up working for the people. And I don't. I'm not saying that was the only reason. I'm saying that I was able to have a conversation about business trust at a point that that usually comes later, because they they broached it with the the need, the ask for the signing, and I just said, "All right, you want to talk about this stuff now? We'll talk about it now." And then it turned into a positive experience, or. I was able to filter out this person as this is not worth my time because they are not taking it seriously or they think I should just sign whatever they give me, which doesn't work for me in a business agreement at all. So I've changed my tune from using that this document that I don't think holds much weight, I think are largely useless and cause more angst than they t- should um, are not highly enforceable based on everything I've read and the fact that I've, you just don't see too many people being kept down with these types of documents or you don't see it play out in public at least where they are enforced strongly. I think it's a great opportunity for people um, to say, hey, how does working with you at a business level, how does that work? How, how do you work? And actually use it to the advantage. So that's what I've started to learn about. Um, I guess a little bit about how to utilize this opportunity instead of make it something where people bash heads on. I'm not sure what you think about that, but that's what I've gathered from it. Sure. So that's certainly the mature way to do it. Um, <laughs> and And it gets you away from the... I never say sign NDA um, line yeah. um, because whenever anybody says never or always to me, I'm, I'm a lot of, when, when a lot of the time I'll say never is a long time. Um, meaning yeah. that, yeah, you can say that, but I, whether I actually believe you mean never or it's just an expression is a different statement. So um, I like your philosophy. I like the way you approach it. Um, I like it, it certainly is the the right way to handle it. Now, the one concern I had originally you addressed, and that was 
Um, I was concerned that if you did not uh, push back, um, and they they would not necessarily understand um, how NDAs are viewed in the technology field, sure. um, and and you would be setting a precedent. But it sounds like you're you're setting a precedent, but you're setting a precedent of yeah, we can talk about this, but it, it's not it's not a great way to go. Yeah. Um, so that's uh. That certainly makes sense to me. I, I, again, I haven't had a lot of experience with it, um, but it mirrors a lot of the conversations I've had with some of the developers um, when we've talked about bringing them on to uh, Aspire Edu. Now, one, one, one quick aside that I want to I want to sure. make clear to everyone: you talked about not talking about clients, and and you. You, you made the statement that you don't talk about clients with other clients, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you actually have a podcast right here where you do talk about clients. <laughs> so, and, yeah. and, and I do the same. So, so let's, let's make very clear that anytime we do, we're, yeah. we're positive that it's, it's within the realm of what is right and proper. It's de- well, the most important thing is we don't divulge business secrets um, we're very light on the business subject matter. So we may use a company as an example or a client example, but um, let me use one. Let's say I worked for a client that had a unique way of selling potted plants. I don't, but I'm not going to say client A or B um, has a very great, unique structure for how they handle inventory. It uses this type of database, and they have a crafted algorithm that takes in these inputs and outputs reports that tell them X, Y, and Z. Like, yeah, your point is exactly on the mark. We do discuss our business experience, but we don't divulge unique information about businesses, about clients, that is not public knowledge or doesn't give any significant advantage to anybody um, in, okay. in that case. So Disclaim, Disclaimer over. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a good – it's important for people that work for clients to know the boundaries there. Um, right. I mean, we're talking about con- – we started talking about contracts, but in general, non-disclosure should be part of your business practice for anyone working anywhere. Um, you know – the information that you get from working with a client is extremely, extremely um, important to them that it's held with as a private matter and not shared with other people, even in routine conversations with significant others, perhaps. Right. And sometimes, sometimes like at the government level, there's different levels of secrecy. But at corp, like in the bigger corporate levels, if you move up the ladder, you're signing those documents as a matter of, like the stuff you're going to see, is the secret sauce on a business level to a billion dollar company, and that can't be divulged. But when you're a developer, or especially technology these days, you know the inner workings of data. I mean, you you know some of the intimate business information flows of a company and you despite anything you sign you should be very careful with what you disclose 
in any medium because we live in a world where the instant distribution of what you say is permanent and repeatable and increasingly manipulated that you have to be very careful about it. And I'll give you an example. Um, (laughs) I'm going to talk about two clients um, vaguely, but both of them were in the same general space. At an abstract level, they were in a part of the business world that you could say, oh, they're in this category of e-commerce that is similar. The differences was completely different marketplace, completely different products um, that were part of these different ventures. And I basically said to each of them, hey, I'm going to talk to this other company. This is what they do at a very abstract level. Do you have a problem with that? Because if the current client did, I wouldn't talk to the new one. Right. And if the new one did, I'm like, I'm not talking to you at all because I've already got this client right now. You have to understand that. I ended up actually connecting both clients together to talk about a possible business venture between the two. And so they, and because I had that conversation, again, there was a really great amount of trust between the two that I was not going to be a vehicle for transferring information illegally or outside of boundaries between them. And they are both very comfortable with me talking to them um, without divulging business secrets. Right. So, and I didn't know how to deal with that. I wanted to talk to both, but I gave priority to the current client. Despite I don't have an NDA with them, it was just good business. And then I made sure that the new person understood how I work and everything. So I think it's important for anyone in this field to treat, despite a contract, to treat the the business information as, you know, important and privileged between a relationship you have with the company that you work for or that you're working with. And I just don't think a I don't think a contract needs to be there for you to respect that. No, and, and this um, gets back to the conversation of good actors, bad actors, um, and that that applies on both ends. Um, yeah, you you portrayed yourself as a good actor by going to both companies and and stating what you did. They portrayed themselves as good actors by saying, "We respect that. We don't want to hear about it." Um, we, yeah. we don't want to hear their, their secret sauce or anything like that. I, I've worked with bad actors. I've worked for bad actors. Um, mm. I, I, I'm sure you have too, but I've certainly worked for bad actors who in, in that scenario might've been like, Oh no, it's okay. You can tell us what, what you, you can tell us what they're doing and, and we're not going to do anything with it and, and, and try to glean that information from oh, them. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and see that that's not, it's not quote illegal, but it is certainly against the intent of the good actors in the party. Yeah. Um, so, uh, that's, that's certainly, uh, again, because you, you, went out and portrayed yourself as a good actor, you were able to gain information about how they were going to uh, behave as well. Yeah. And I have been, I had one particular person way, way back ask me about a previous company I worked for. 
And I basically kind of shrugged it off with, well, I don't talk to people about your stuff. And they were like, yeah, I get it. I was just, I was just testing you. I was just checking to see if you'd say anything, you know, and I knew what they were really getting at, but I just, I, I made it clear, like, look, you're talking to the wrong person if you think that's how I do business. So yeah, the, you're, you're going to be faced with that at some point in your career, most likely, especially in the information world where people want are either expecting that you know more than the typical employee or that you have some edge kind of information that gives someone an edge. Right. And in our tech world, tech, like people think that everything we do is in a black box often. And they think that you have great insight to shine a light on that. So they'll ask you to do it. The other, the kind of the last question or the last scenario I want to put you in is related to the person without as much leverage as you and I have. You're a, let's say you're a brand new developer trying to move into the world. What do you do about NDAs? Because you don't have the leverage. Like I'm, I'm striking a conversation with someone by pushing back on a, NDA, but I've got experience. Like I'm not in the role of, I want a job more than I want a conversation about a business contract. What would you do in the scenario where you're entering a field and someone asks you to do an NDA um, right off the bat and just to get a job? Yeah. Like, do you, what do you picture yourself doing? Yeah. You don't, you can't say it right now, but yeah. And, and, and this goes to the conversation of privilege, right? You, you and I have the privilege, um, of being able to exercise that power. Whereas someone uh, just starting doesn't have that privilege. Um, So it's, it's going to depend on your situation. Um, An NDA, I don't see where an NDA hurts you to sign it. What, What are you giving up? You're giving up your ability to talk about something in public. Okay. I can, I can deal with that. Um, it could, it could be too broad. The NDA could go over an entire marketplace that is way too broad for the specialization of the company. That's one area I would watch out for. Yeah, it, it, correct. In that you have to watch the language. So, but does a 22 year old developer really know what language to look for? Uh, the no. short answer is going to be no. Um, so I'm going to broadly say that read through it to the best of your ability, ask questions where you can. Um, if you have the ability to redline things you're uncomfortable with, give it a shot. If at the end of the day, this is the job you want and you have no, uh, egregious objections to what's in the NDA, sign it and go get your experience um, so that you yeah. do have that privilege and that power in the future to exercise it. Now that that is an NDA that is not a non-compete clause, which is which is a separate statement, yeah. but I'm not sure my advice is much different. Um, depending on how broad, I, I think individual people do have more power to push on non-competes because it's essentially a case of saying you're keeping me from working in in this field. And, and that's where the enforceability of non-competes goes away as well. Um, Mm -hmm. But in general, 
it's going to depend on your situation. If it's the job you want um, and you can live with the conditions, go forward with it. If it's the job you want and you're not comfortable with the conditions, seek outside advice. Um, there yeah. are lawyers in tech communities. We, uh, we have a couple of lawyers within the Orlando tech community that hang out with the tech people all the time that will probably broadly give you quick advice. They're not going to necessarily sit down and read through the whole thing, but they, they probably will give you advice one way or the other. Um, if you've got a good yeah. friend who's a lawyer, then you're in even better shape because then you can lean on them to, to, to read through something to make up for that time you got rid of their virus. Um, yeah. So <laughs> that in general, as, as, as a start at a starting level, you don't have a lot of power. So it's going to be up to you to decide how much you want to give away. In my, in my view, you're giving away next to nothing for a non-disclosure. You are giving away something for a non-compete. Yeah. And that's, I think I agree with you. You don't have, if you want a job at a place and they're making you sign this or asking you to sign this, what I, without everything's everyone's scenarios are different, but I think the things you need to consider in the contract are how broad certain things are. So you definitely, you know, talking to an attorney um, of some kind is if you can afford it or if you have the means to it, take advantage of that. Um, the next item for certain is to make sure that you fully understand the scope of how, what is the area? Like, does this cover the world? Does this cover the United States? Does this cover a city? Does this cover a radius around the business? Like, what is the, where does this document restrict you from working? That's very important to have a comprehension of. The next is the business area. Where th like, is this in a very general, like if, if you're working for a startup that's in auto sales, does this cover every vehicle type? in the world or does this cover a specific niche that they are covering for the business it's very important to understand that if you grew up in a family that uses automobiles um, as part of their background and suddenly you sign a document that says you can't work for anyone in a vehicle space there's a difference between a vehicle and an automobile but they the, the a court would look at it as the, like a broader category. Um, it, th those are the two things. The other thing is, do they describe any of the penalties involved? Usually they don't. They leave that up to a court. But if they do and you agree to it, those penalties are a lot easier to enforce. Right. Does it go to, does it like, those are the things that you should talk to an attorney about. But I think it's very important for you to understand the trade-off. The other is the length of time. How long is this thing enforceable? If it goes beyond, like I can't think of many going beyond a year, but people sign documents that say that they are locked out for a specific amount of time, and then the court may enforce that. Are you comfortable with that? Like what someone should always ask with a contract like this is, what if a court completely, what if I work at this place for a month? And they, everything goes south. 
and then a court says this document is enforceable. Can I live right. with that? The answer may be the answer may be yes because you need the gig and it's a good opportunity. That's a risk. That's a gamble. But those are the questions that you should ask, and that's what I typically ask myself with any document that where I don't like all the terms. What's the worst that could happen here? And sometimes it's not that bad. But I think the worst thing you can do is to not read it, to sign it. And I would say that even if I need a job badly, if someone gives me an NDA before a meeting and they don't want to give me at least 24 hours to read it before signing, I don't. I don't give a crap what I need at that point. I... I ask for a reasonable amount of time to read and then absorb what the terms of this agreement are. I mean, even if I didn't go back to them and say, I want to change things, if they don't give you the time to review a contract, then they are going, they are not giving you the respect that any employee should have for a job. So I will go, I will be that bold of everyone deserves the time to review before they right. sign. Um, but, you know, you have to really consider all those, these various, vari- the variables that may be involved in such an agreement before you go forward. And sometimes you just swallow it and say, yeah, I'll sign this. And because of the other side is, this is a good opportunity or I need this opportunity. I think you highlighted so, the, the one key point to take out of that was the respect they're giving you as an employee. Um, if they're if they're trying to bum rush you through it, then that could be the way you're going to be treated the whole time you're there, and you need to reevaluate if that's really a good position or not. So I guess we can we can wrap this up, um, but I do I guess I want to call out like we haven't done this really before, but I think it probably we should. If people out there listening have an opinion on this or have an experience with this, or if they're an attorney, let us know what you think or if a question you have, and we'll try to find the answer. I mean, we are both here discussing our experiences, but there's a lot more out there. So we, our email address is hello at ctothink.com. Um, you can also email me, Randy at ctothink, Don at ctothink.com. And if you have experience with this that is relevant, we'll bring it up in a future episode because I think this is an area that my students have asked me before because they are getting a job at a company and they're like, should I sign this? Do you sign these? And I have to have kind of the same conversation we're having now, except that I'm like, hey, I have been in the business world a while, so I don't have to do these like you do. So, but I'm curious out there of other listeners' opinions Um, about this subject because it varies from state to state. It varies from industry to industry. And there's a lot of opinions. Like I never come to a solid, I never see a solid conclusion made when I read what's on lobsters or message boards and stuff about this subject. And I think it's important to hear from other folks I'll I'll take it one step further. Um, You you said go ahead and email us and and we'll discuss it on on a future episode it, if, if you want to keep it private send it to us and and we'll be yeah. glad to take a look with the full understanding we are not lawyers <laughs> <laughs> nothing we yeah. say is legally binding all you'll get is our opinion um 
but we, we, we certainly, that, that's part of what we're doing here. Um, we're trying to give yeah. our experience back. Um, so, so uh, feel free um, to, to reach out. Do you have any recommendations this week? Sleep. <laughs> Good. No, after, uh, after, uh, I think I said last time that our New York trip started at 2 a.m. We had to be at the high school at 2 a.m. And that whole day went till, oh gracious, I probably didn't climb into bed until 2 a.m. So um, it, it went yeah. the full time. Um, so that's what I've been catching up on. Um, recommendation wise. No, I don't have anything this week beyond sleep. I I'm coming up with one right now based on my work this weekend, Twilio. Um, I'm going to recommend them not, not just because it's a great service uh, for multiple avenues of communication through a terrific API, but the documentation of Twilio is the, it is amazing. And the example for all APIs out there, I got working with stuff so fast with them. They were kind of the part the piece of this app I worked on that I'm like, that, that'll just be done. I yeah. think I'm, Oh, I'm done. Okay. That worked. Boom. And it was just so easy to set up and I was able to find answers to questions. It, Ah, like that's experience that every you always want as a developer. Um, and if you have to hand that job off to someone and you say to them, well, just read the docs, like you can boldly say to a developer that you are, is on your team, just go to the Twilio docs and you'll find the answer to what you're probably trying to do. So I, I've got to give them kudos. They also do a great outreach. Um, a guy named Greg Bouges out in Brooklyn, he used to be in Chicago. I have talked with him a number of times and he, you know, they really do a lot of great work in the development community um, as well. And I just think that Twilio represents the type of company where I have, I don't know who the competitors of theirs are directly, but I don't know that I right. care to use them unless there's a great monetary, monetarial reason um, difference because working with that API is just easy. And, and so, yeah, that's my pick for the week is choose them. Yeah. For they, their, their documentation is really the gold standard. Um, there's another technology. I, I, I blew through their documentation, had things working immediately. Um, there's another framework that I won't mention right now, whose people, people rave about the documentation and I struggled to dig in. Um, so, so it, it's mm. certainly, um, Twilio goes above and beyond as far as the, uh, the documentation goes. I thought you were going to bring up the uh, service you were digging into last night, but we'll save that for a future episode. Awesome. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. There you go. I'll that's that's that your up. next re- I'll episode. I'll talk about that later. All right. Well, so you should now take your own advice and get some sleep. We will <laughs> call it an episode and we will talk next week. Sounds good. Thank you, Randy. All right. Later. Thanks for listening to the CTO Think Podcast. Show notes and previous episodes can be found on our website at ctothink.com. Reviews on Apple iTunes are always appreciated and help promote the show. 
Patreon contributions help us to produce episode transcripts, which allow people that are deaf or hard of hearing to access the show. If you have feedback, ideas, or want to be a guest, please email us at hello at ctothink.com. Show music is Dumpster Dive by Mark Wallach, licensed by premiumbeat.com. Voiceover work by meganvoices.com. You'll hear from us next week. We'll be right back.